the thing I like about it too is it's um, with that extra rotation you get that added trauma and you get that added kind of amount of cut and added opening up the holes but you don't need a big head to do it so it still flies really well at long range too you know you go on a hunt and you kind of get humbled and it's man it's still bow hunting and it's still tough and it yep. can seem impossible it can seem impossible sometimes but yeah yeah, some other times it can just just seem easy, but yeah, it's bow hunting. There's no sure thing. You, no matter how much you do it, or how much you you know become kind of an expert in that in that area or with that animal or whatever, it's, it's still it's never a given. You know, it's always tough. I think you can have a situation where the lungs don't necessarily collapse. You know, there's different lobes in the lungs. Right. You just hit those back lobes. I feel like they can still get some air in those front lobes for a while until maybe there's enough air in there that the lung kind of collapses and they can't because the diaphragm going up, you know, in and out is what open, you know, right. air in and out. If you take out one lung on the elk, he's probably not going to die, at least, at least not that day, you know. They're yeah. a tough animal and, and they can go a long ways and a long time on one elk, on one lung, you know, maybe forever even. I don't know. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Just before we roll into this episode, I want to talk to you about a couple things. As always, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags, main sponsor of the show. Use promo code John Stallone, save 20% on your whole order. They got some awesome stuff. Get yourself some shooting bags, a glassing pad. Check out some of the stuff that they're working on. Also, I want you to check out Lacusa. Lacusa makes wild hunted American whitetail leather goods like wallets, card holders, stuff like that. It's a really neat deal. I got mine about a month ago and I really love it. It's nice to know that your whitetail hide's not just going in the garbage or being left out in the field and uh, it's being turned into something useful and it will last you a very, very long time. If you use promo code John Stallone on your purchase, you will receive a discount. And, uh, a couple other things. One, you know, I know you guys heard me say a million times, please go on iTunes, give us a review, helps me keep this free. And uh, lastly, I just want to touch on all the craziness that's going on in the world. It's really important for us hunters to stick together. They are really heavily coming for hunting. We're seeing it all over the place. It's popping up in every state where they're trying to chip away at hunting rights and change things up so if you want to keep hunting as special as it is to us now and have it be in our heritage and for the generations to come then learn to be better with your fellow hunter and learn to stick up and fight for what's right thank you let's jump into this next episode i got iron will bill with us on the phone here bill Give us a little rundown about yourself real quick because you've only been on the, I think you want, you've been on the show once a time before. Yeah, we, um, we recorded a podcast once. I don't know if it actually ever aired or not. I never went back and, uh, and found it, but I'm the owner, founder, lead engineer for Iron Will Broadheads. But, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm a bow hunter. I've been bow hunting for 50 years now and I've been a mechanical engineer for 30 and I've been, designing developing broadheads for oh i think 17 years nice. so i mean bow hunting only is my passion i love you know i love to get out there and bow hunt and use our products and test them as much as i can and then you know keep developing things to to make you know better products i'm just into like how can i apply science to make the best um best products for the bow hunter yep and and then i just love 
I mean, I really enjoy that. And then just getting out and testing them and making sure things are working well. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. I used the new single bevel all season long. Very happy with it. Very nice. Very and you used a single bevel with the, with the, with the bleeder. Bubble bleeder too. Yeah. 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 You know, you were one of the guys when I was developing that, um, I kind of wanted the bleeder for myself, but it, it's not kind of, it's not really the norm out there, but, mm-hmm. um, you, I know you're one of the guys pushing me to do one with the, with the single bubble bleeder. And I think that's a big, big advantage myself. I think it's huge. Absolutely. Yeah. Huge. I've shot a number of animals now where the hole the entrance hole through the hide is a square, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a, it's almost a perfect square. And, um, yeah, just with that extra bleeder, and then the rotation, it really, really cuts a nice hole through there. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know, you know, if it's, if it's has anything to do with the bleeder or not, but I feel like you always get really good, you know, cause most bleeders will, you know, obviously more friction, more, more material is going to slow that broadhead down and not have as much penetration. But for some reason on these, I think like it's not affecting the penetration at all. Like, and now I'm, you know, when you shoot it through a ballistic gel, I've shot it with the bleeder and without, of course, a ballistic gel, you get a little bit more penetration without the bleeder again, because it's, it's not, it's not going through a body, but I feel like something about that design, you know, and it, like you mentioned, when you and I talked about it originally, that's part of my original design. There's something about that, that really, obviously you're getting the extra cut, more chance of a better blood, blood trail, but penetration wise i feel like it doesn't slow it up like it does on other broadheads quite as bad yeah, I, I agree and um with ballistic gel so much of it is just is just the friction right. on this on the shaft and any surface area so i think that's why you see a little difference there i i shoot through ballistic gel myself more to look at the rotation and right it's just it's, it's kind of cool it's fun but i don't feel like it does a very good job of it's a test simulating tool. an animal because of the the friction is so high it's really the friction on the shaft and any any blades that stop that and in an animal you it's all kind of lubricated from the fluids that you're cutting through but yeah that small bleeder set back especially with the rotation yeah the, the main blades entering rotating so if, let's say you're going through scapula that scapula is already opened up by the time the bleeder gets there so it, it really doesn't, yeah. it has a minor effect, very minor, I think, on limiting penetration. And it's just, you just get that extra three-quarter inch crosscut all the way through there. You're just slicing more stuff, mm-hmm. opening up holes more, quicker kills. Um, yeah, I've been trying to shoot through, I've been trying to compare the penetration of that to our, just our solid uh, S125 head with mm-hmm. bleeders. And, and I thought, it would maybe penetrate less because of the rotation no. compared to just our double bevel. But man, I sure haven't seen that on, on the elk I shot this year um, or, you know, a lot of the animals I've shot, even bone impacts. It's, um, it's really blown through everything pretty well. Yeah. I, I feel like the rotational force actually propels it forward. Like it almost like pulls it through, you know, it's like, I don't know. Like, I'm not definitely not an engineer, but I do my fair share of tinkering. I don't know what it is. I just, I think it's as far as, as you know, a solid broadhead, fixed blade broadheads concerned. Like it's really, really hard to beat the mechanical advantage of having that style, you know, single bevel, 
and um, you know, in the market now, every single bevel that I have ever seen had a double bevel that had a bleeder was a double bevel bleeder. And I was like, well, that makes no freaking sense. That's opposing forces, you know, right? Yeah. you got the double, you got the double bevel slowing the rotation down, you know, and the single bevel wanting to speed it up. Or yeah. Continue. I knew I'd have to do a single bevel grind on that bleeder. Otherwise you're limiting the, you're, st- you're kind of preventing the rotation or, or slowing it down or fighting against it, you know? So with the single bevel grind on the bleeder, it, it just assists it, you know, they all work together. And, and I, my thinking was that, well, if you got to rotate through an animal, it's going to take more energy and won't penetrate as far, but, but at the same time you have that rotation of the arrow to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got that rotation momentum and that provides the torque to continue this rotation, I think through there. And so, man, I don't see like I blew through my, elk this year went through with me you know one shoulder it came out behind the shoulder on the other side it buried into this rocky dirt like a foot it was hard to pull that arrow out of there <laughs> and um just this you know amazing penetration with that head so far yeah i um so my elk i caught it was a quartering two and his head was turned facing me so i was taking a frontal shot basically but because his body was somewhat quartering too, I kind of caught the clavicle, for lack of better terminology on what that is, I guess, on the far right-hand side. I didn't bust completely through it, but I definitely took a chunk out of it. And it came out the far, so in this case, it was his right side shoulder behind, you know, behind that. You know, and it was a pass. It wasn't a through and through. It was a pass through. The arrow was hanging out the other side by the fletching. And, man, he bled like a son of a gun. It was, I was very, very happy with that. Nice. The thing I like about it, too, is it's um, with that extra rotation, you get that added trauma and you get that added kind of amount of cut and added opening up the holes, but you don't need a big head to do it. So it still flies really well long range too. Yeah. Compared to, I, I like shooting our wide series heads for hogs, bears, whitetails when the shots are going to be closer. But um, I need to reach way out there with a shot that um, either our S125 or single bubble 125, just a little more compact. Just, I really feel much more confidence in those when you got, when you have to make that long shot too. Right. I shot with my, my mule deer, that was actually, that was a little Western in South Dakota, which was my last, my last harvest. Um, that buck was wounded by somebody else on a neighboring property. He had a broken leg and he was cut across the brisket and his other leg was messed up. And that's why I ended up going, deciding to go shoot him. And um, the reason why I'm telling you all this is because you guys don't, I want you to look down at me of the shot that I took. <laughs> but um, so I had snuck into six yards. I was above him and he was laying behind this cut bank and it was blowing like 30 miles an hour. And, um, you know, I was just waiting for him to stand up. And when he stood up, he, I don't know, he caught a whiff of me and uh, he, he ran and he was running up the other side of the hill, not running, but he was hobbling up the other side of the hill. And I shot him at 50 yards 
going away from me and somewhat uphill. And I, I basically got him behind the, it was almost directly away. So I got him like behind the back rib and it came out through and all the way through and it came out his neck. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty crazy, <laughs> pretty crazy situation, pretty crazy shot. Um, yeah, nice, nice shot on the move. <laughs> yeah, yeah sure. but I, I, if he wasn't already wounded, I would not have taken that shot, you know, but right, I just right. felt like he already had a starter hole in him. I needed to, you know. Yep, I agree. So, but um, yeah, so far, very impressed with, with the head. And um, I plan on continuing to use them here for a while, anyways. And uh, we'll see. Cool. Well, you're you're one of the guys we got them too early, and I just was really looking for your feedback on them. So appreciate that. Absolutely, I appreciate them. They're they're great head. They fly great. Easy to tune. So uh, you had some good hunts this year, man. You want to share a couple stories with us? Yeah, um, I did have some good hunts this year. I, I went to. Hawaii in June, um, mm-hmm. my first time hunting there. Got a friend that lives on the big island there, and he took me out. Uh, we hunted, um, you know, sheep up in uh, kind of up in the mountains, mm-hmm. and um, that you know that was a cool hunt. It's very it's very rocky area, lots of kind of lava rock, but it's uh-huh. thick, you know, thick brush and trees. Um, anyway, we we saw quite a few sheep, and I finally got a, a good shot on a ram and put him down and uh we we hunted kind of two areas we hunted kind of high up in the mountains where it was and it was about a two-hour drive up into the mountains there and it's it's an interesting island because as you drive around it it's like you have totally different terrain and and um you know trees and brush it's like parts of it are like a desert and parts of it are like a rainforest um Mm -hmm. But uh, up in the mountains there, it was pretty lush, um, lots of cover. It was, it was sometimes a challenge to get within range and um, see them before they saw us um, up in the mountains. But we also hunted some areas that were right off the coast. So we're in these, these hills that um, come up from the coast, and there that was pretty lush green grass, but it was more open. Um, and there were some rams there too, as well as some, um, there's goats and there's, um, also some, you know, pigs in that area. And, uh, we, one of the problems though is that, uh, they, they could be hunted year round there and mm-hmm. those big old, the big older rams are like, um, mouflon <clears throat> sheep where they have the, you know, multiple curls, um, just beautiful looking rams. Those guys are pretty wise. It was hard to get, I actually did get one shot on one, but it was, we we camp over the ridge and you know they spotted us i spotted them i I drew right away just the range and told me the range and as i shot they all took off running so you know they were five feet from my arrow when it actually hit but um (laughs) they're they're pretty wise pretty jumpy um but i did end up shooting a big you know wild wild hog there so i got a hog and a ram that was that was a pretty fun hunt it was something you know i think the temperatures about the same year around there. So I went there in June and hunted and it was pretty nice. I mean, it was pretty, it was kind of warm midday, but I want to say it was maybe 60 overnight, 80 during the day. So mornings and evenings were, were okay to go out and hunt mm-hmm. in that temperature. But, so that was fun hunt. Then, um, my next hunt after that was went up caribou hunting in Alaska. 
in mid-August. That's That was a repeat hunt for me. Last year I went, three of us went and bow hunted. Um, so we we fly uh, fly into Katzebue and then take a uh, you know, cub plane up from there and get dropped off in the Brooks Range um, and hunt the Northwest Arctic herd. And it's, a, it's an amazing wild place up there. You know, we fly 160 miles from the nearest little village and there's just nothing up up there. So it's, you see what real wilderness is when you're, when you yeah. get dropped up, up there. <laughs> um, so last year, three of us with our bows shot, um, shot three nice caribou bulls in about three days. And I actually got mine on my first, first stock, first day we could hunt up there. And um, it, it, it was, you know, it was a great trip, but I just left me, wanting to spend more time up there hunting. It was just such a cool place. You know, we got pulled out early because we had our caribou down. So this year when I went up, I really wanted to spend the whole 10 days like hunting, trying to get a, just the biggest caribou I could and, um, and, you know, get my money's worth more or less out of the trip. And man, I sure did. Uh, you know, two of us, the plan was two of us had bows, two of us had rifles. Mm -hmm. One with, uh, uh, Frank and, and David Kafaru and then uh, Isaac Aylman who works for a uh, black rifle and they were okay. on the trip and it was a fun hunt. They ended up, they ended up shooting their three with, with rifles. Um, and I was seeing just bigger bulls every day up there. And um, I passed up a lot of kind of medium, small to medium sized bulls in uh, you know, the first, five, six days really going for one of the bigger ones. And I, I just, I didn't end up shooting anything, but I had a great time. I, it just makes me want to go back so bad because I, I could still see those giant bulls. I, I was putting stocks on them. I just couldn't get close enough. Um, the weather was, there's a lot of rain and wind, so I couldn't take long shots. And it was, it was open enough country. It was hard to get a close stock to them, but man, that I see some big bulls. Just when I thought I'd saw like the biggest bull, that could exist, you know, the next day I'd see bigger ones Jeez. and some of them, I don't know if you've been caribou hunting, but no, you can't always judge when there's just, when there's just a couple of there. Um, they might look like really big bulls, but you gotta have a lot to look and at. Then you'll have it's a like bull that'll walk up, walk up to them and it'll be 50% bigger. It's crazy how, how big they can get up there. That's awesome. I want, I want, I've been wanting to do that for so long. It's like one of my, <clears throat> Definitely one of my bucket list hunts. And I'm so mad at myself because Jesus, years ago you could go shoot a freaking caribou for like fifteen hundred bucks. Like it was stupid cheap to go shoot caribou. And uh whatever reason I just I know I never end up going. And now, you know, much like everything else in the world, it's crazy. Limited yeah. supply, limited <clears throat> you know. Definitely. Yeah, and this is a it's a do-it-yourself type hunt, but yeah, you need that fly-in service. So yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's where the costs are. Isn't that fly-in? Yeah, I was going to drop off in Canada originally when I was looking at doing it, but okay. I'm trying to think if that was what barren ground. What what type? Yours was woodland. No, these the are barren ground. Oh, those are barren ground. Okay. Yeah, it's a Northwest Arctic herd. I think it's. I want to say it's the largest herd. I think it's 150,000 animals, Jeez. something like that. And they weren't really on the migration when we went. We go up in August. They're up in the hills, which is a little better for bow hunting, I think. There's just more terrain to it. And they're just, what we figured out is, I mean, they're always moving. Mm -hmm. But they weren't really going anywhere. They were, we'd, we'd sometimes see the same bull 
you know, it'd go south, and then three days later, we'd see it go by us going north. Okay. You know, one day all the caribou were going south, next day they're all going north, next day they're all going east, then they're going west. And I think they were, I think they move, it's probably, um, you know, a survival thing for them. Yeah. But they want to move a lot, and I think also the bugs, they want to get away from the bugs sometimes, but... Um, it was good that they were, um, they would sometimes, you know, bed down or slow down enough to feed to where you could get in there and ambush, get a shot on them. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, it, I gotta do it cause I, not like I'm getting any younger, but and not like it's getting any cheaper. The availability is getting any better. So I definitely need to do it. I just gotta, I just gotta buckle down and do it. You know, it's so hard for me to go to places that I don't have connection to the world because i could do what i'm i'm allowed to do what i could do or that i do is because i can run my business when i'm away you know and then my family too um, i don't know how, you know my kids are all still young i don't know how it would be with my you know leaving my wife where i couldn't talk at least talk to them at nighttime you know what i'm saying so yeah I'm trying. Uh, we all had in reaches. We had in reaches long so we can text, you know, anybody. But yeah. um, you can bring, you can get a satellite phone or rent a satellite phone so you can have conversations. Um, yeah. I've done that a few times. It's, it's just not the same. Uh, I don't know. It's not the same as being able to, like, just, you know, every couple hours, whatever, drop, drop a line or, or when you want to talk to, you know, your, your guys, because the inReach, like, yeah, you could drop text, but Jesus, you know, sometimes it takes 20 minutes for one text to get out. Exactly. You exactly, know, it's not like yeah. you could get, you could get any real progress with anything on those, but right. it's yeah, definitely good for much, what it is, you know. Yeah. You're pretty much out of touch for 10 days or, or however long your hunt is. Yeah. 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 So where'd you go? Um, were you just elk hunting in Colorado this year or? I drew a tag in Wyoming this oh, year. Wyoming. So I hunted Wyoming, okay. Wyoming and the Bighorns for the first time. Oh, that's um, that's where I got my bull in the Bighorns. Okay, cool. Yeah, conditions were weren't great. It was it was crazy warm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hot and sunny. For I, what I planned to do was hunt there for a week and then go back to Colorado. And uh, yeah, it was it was warm enough, and it was a totally new area for me. I was supposed to go with a buddy of mine that he ended up having to work. So I ended up going solo up there mm-hmm. and, and I was finding elk, but they were only moving like first thing in the morning and, and just right at, at dark. Anyway, I ended up on the seventh day that morning. I kind of finally figured out where a bunch of elk were the night before I got up two hours, you know, went in there two hours before, um, light hiked in and, um, got right into where I thought the elk might be. And sure enough, at first light, I could see, I could see, um, I came into this little opening and I could see some cows moving through there. And I heard a bull bugle and raking a tree. And then, I mean, I knew, I knew it was the bull. He came out, he like bumped this cow in the butt and she moved on and he was standing there at 40 yards open to me mm-hmm. it just i couldn't make out the antlers and, and it was about 10 minutes after legal shooting light but just with the dark timber behind him got it yeah um, disappearing that. man i just i mean i knew like i was just saying shoot him that's gotta be the herd bull and 
and it was. I just wasn't confident. And you know, I'm used to Colorado where it's got to be a four pointer better too. So you don't just shoot if it's a bull. You got to make sure it's you know going to be a legal bull. But in right. Wyoming, there's no rule like that in Wyoming. So it, it didn't. I could have shot any elk. I didn't really think through that ahead of time. But anyways, I pulled my binoculars. And sure enough, it was the herd bull. And by the time I put him back down, um, he just moved on a little bit out of my opening. And then I kind of dogged the herd a bit, but then uh, the cow saw me and they they blew out. So that was my chance on the herd bull. I saw kind of where, you know, the direction they were headed. I think he went up over the top into the next unit. So that kind of blew that, but the, the herd kind of split. And I, I figured some of them went embedded in this clump of timber that was up pretty high. I worked my way up up there, got around them, wait till the thermals were right. And I just kind of still hunted down through there. And little raghorn bull stood up and walked out in front of me at 30 yards. And I smoked him. It was my last planted day to hunt up there. And I wanted to test a single bubble with bleeder broadhead for one on an elk. And, um, and yeah, I wanted to get some elk meat too. So, right. Yeah. So I was happy to get the bull down anyway. And it was, yeah, it was, it was a nice little broadhead test. He made it, um, you know, it, it went through one shoulder and it came out behind the other shoulder. So it was a double lung hit, kind of mid-body. So it wasn't heart, but it would have been double lung. He, um, you know, the arrow buried about a foot into the rocky dirt. It was hard to pull out. He went 17 yards, stood there, and, and fell over. So I felt like oh yeah, on a double lung hit, that's a pretty fast, that's a pretty fast kill for that kind of upper upper lung hit um, yeah so i think the trauma was was good i mean i've seen i've seen animals with that shot go a lot further than that so oh yeah for sure yeah a nice square hole good amount of blood although with 17 yards you don't really need to blood track too much but that was wyoming i headed back and then um i had planned to go right back into colorado but um man with a business and just the way it had been this year with um being short on product and trying to get product out to people. I just, I had to put in a couple of weeks of work there and just try and get, get things short up with the business. Um, yeah. Works over. Yes. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to, <laughs> it's hard to run a company and uh, do a lot of bow hunting sometimes, but um, I didn't get out as much in Colorado as I planned because of that. Um, I went out for a few days quick and found the elk. My plan was I really wanted to help my, my son Dallas get his first elk. Um, mm-hmm. So I went out, found some elk for a few days, came back out, and then went in just for when he was supposed to go with me for a few days. Um, then he couldn't go because of work. My other buddy JD, who um, was with me on two of my hunts last year, so last year was kind of the year of the bulls for me. I got three bulls and a buck, and this year was more the year of the bucks for me. I got four mature bucks and one bull. Nice. So, um, anyways. Um, when it was JD, I kind of knew where the elk were and how to hunt them in the spot really well. And we went in there first light, got a bull to bugle back, and um, I knew that was the herd bull there. And I just felt like, man, JD, you go after him. I got two bulls last year. You were long. Helped me pack out both. You didn't shoot one. I, I want to see you get one. And, um, you know, gave him kind of the best opportunity. It didn't work out. He didn't end up getting the shot. Um, but um, that was really our best chance. I got on that bull couple days later in some thick oak brush and I was following those dog in the herd and kind of bugling at him just to locate him. And he ended up turning and coming right in at me um, when I wasn't really prepared for it. 
he was 30 yards away in the oak brush just screaming at me and tried to circle downwind to me. I just had no opening to shoot. He circled down and then up and around. And I was in this little, um, this little narrow wash. Um, he just had to step into the wash either below me or above me. And I would, I would have had the shot. The wind was, he, he would have hit the wind right about when he did it. But I saw his antler circle below me and then circle around a half circle up above me. And it was a big, big herd bull just screaming at me, but he didn't quite want to come out in the opening. So I never got the shot on him. And, and that's the way my Colorado season ended there. Yeah, it goes like that sometimes, right? It does. Um, yeah, for sure. And it's, man, experiences like that though, when you got a herd bull coming in screaming at you, that just really gets the blood going. And Oh yeah. What that's why you're there, you know? Without a doubt. Yeah, we, we had a bunch of opportunities for uh, my partner Charles to score on a bull, you know, after mine. And it just kept happening, just like that one being a minute too too late or, you know, five yards over one way or five yards, you know, just one of those things or the last second the wind change, you know, always like – but. Man, he was on. We were on so many different opportunities, and we busted our ass. We 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 were probably putting twelve miles a day, you know, hiking and and whatnot. But we were definitely making the opportunities. But we had them, and it was, just, it was very frustrating that we couldn't, you know, couldn't get him a, a you know a bull. I know he left that that hunt being extremely frustrated, but uh, I don't know. We made up for it in South Dakota, so. Yeah, I mean that's bow hunting. It's is. Yeah, I've been I've been. I've had great success the last few years. Kind of filled all my tags, and and you know my confidence is high. I can get it done. And then, you know, you go on a hunt and you kind of get humbled that it's man, it's still bow hunting and it's still tough and it yep. can seem impossible. It can seem impossible sometimes. Um, and. Um, but yeah, yet some other times it can just just seem easy. But yeah, it's bow hunting. There's no sure thing. It's, you, no matter how much you do it, or how much you you um, you know become kind of an expert in that in that area or with that animal or whatever, it's it's still it's never a given. You know, it's always tough. For Depending sure, for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. So then I went on to shot some deer. After that, I went to. Um, north texas for the opener there there's a buddy of mine has a, a ranch that we've hunted last couple years there's this buck i've been after um i saw him once last year at the end of season and i guess it was in december last year mm -hmm. and then i saw him first light opening morning and it was just too low a light for me to take the shot um and i think he maybe i don't know if I think he maybe winded me to wins for a little bit. And I thought, oh man, I blew it. That's my chance for the year. But I just kept hunting that, that stand. And yeah, four days later, just before dark, um, there was two bucks were fighting in this field. I was on this um, little kind of oat, in this kind of oat and wheat field where the does would, would come into it. And then there was a few bucks in there and two of them were fighting. And I, I was... I just figured, oh man, that big buck's going to hear this commotion and come in. And sure enough, he did. It was just before dark, but he came by, gave me a, a 32 yard shot. And man, did he duck and spin at that shot? He was broadside when I shot, but I actually hit him in the, 
and quarter and it came out behind the opposite side shoulder. Um, And I saw him and he was a big body. He weighed 200 pounds. He was a big body deer for, I mean, for Texas especially, but, um, North Texas, I think, does have some bigger body bucks and a really heavy antler too, I thought, for, for Texas. But anyways, he, so it ended up being kind of a, a gut, liver, and just touched the back edge of the opposite lung. He ran, I saw him run about 100 yards, tucked into some a clump of trees right there. And, and um, yeah, that's where he was laying dead when I found him. So Shopee had that wide head. I feel like when there's a, a gut shatter, you do hit back a little bit. Um, just doing a little more trauma there, uh, make some stop sooner, you know, could mm-hmm. lay down, lay down earlier. But, um, anyways, that was, um, I don't do a lot of whitetail hunting in the areas I hunt usually aren't managed for a big buck. So I just shoot whatever, you know, mature buck I can get. But, um, this is, it's my biggest whitetail. Actually, it was a 160 inch buck. Oh, um, geez, that's a great buck. Nice, heavy buck. So yeah, super excited about that one. That was like, and then, uh, yeah, then, November, I went and hit, um, I do a hunt with my brothers each year. Um, there's five of us. We get together, like four brothers. And then now uh, we got a sister-in-law that gets in on it. And my son Dallas went also this year. And we'll either hunt, we find in South Dakota, Illinois, Wisconsin, Indiana. They're kind of spread around those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, this year we hunted Indiana and, um, we put down five bucks in four days. So it was, a it was a pretty fun time. I got about a three and a half year old eight point, just big body deer. Um, the rack was, you know, decent and nothing, nothing too big, but, um, yeah, fun to get a buck there in the rut when they're chasing does. And I, I shot that one on the move. He came by me just 20 yards out. Um, but I don't know. I've, I've kind of had bad luck when I try and stop deer that half the time they'll spin or take off or just be really alert, you know? So um, I don't stop them unless I feel like I have to. Yeah. If they're not moving too fast, right. that, you know, under 30 yard range, I'll just let her fly. And yeah, I made a good shot on him, put him down. Then I went on, went on to Wisconsin, my hometown area, kind of central Wisconsin, uh, hunted near an old farm that I hunted when I was a kid. Um, and just in a couple of days there, I shot a nice, nice, heavy, um, buck with good good mass on the antlers he was three and a half year old and you know that that's a fun hunt just going back to my hometown area i just love the oak woods and the marsh in the in the hills around there it's just really cool country so did that and i came back to colorado this would have been just a few days before thanksgiving i had a mule deer tag here and i hunt that in the foothills i live in the kind of in the Loveland Fort Collins area, just hunt the okay. foothills around there and some property I can get on and, uh, and shot a really nice mule deer buck. And I've been watching this buck for a few days and he just hadn't been in a spot where I could get in for a shot on him. And, and then this particular day he was chasing a doe around. And when he dropped into a ravine, it was just kind of a, a dry Creek bed that was dropped down 20 feet or so. And I was, I was just 150 yards back or so watching, watch what was going to happen. When he dropped into there, I just made a run for it to the, to the opposite bank of where they, I expected him to pop up. I just made a run for it, got over there, got on my knees in the grass. And sure enough, the doe came up 30 yards out from me. Hell yeah. She saw me and stopped and looked at me. Then he came up and stopped just behind her. 
you know, he looked over at me, but it was, I was already jumped back and too late for him by then. I got like a 35 yard shot. And awesome. Yeah. Nice double long shot on him too. So yeah, that was a nice, uh, pretty nice meal there. He was, um, his back, uh, what would they be G2s both forked. So he had, you know, the normal forks plus a couple plus extra in there. So that's pretty cool. cool. So yeah. And then, uh, since then just kind of taking it easy for a couple of weeks here, getting caught up. Nice. You got anything else coming up for the year? Or? Yeah, I'm going to, I can shoot one more buck in Texas. So I'm, I'll head back there. Uh, oh, yeah, it's like we were talking about earlier. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'll hunt, um, hunt deer there and I can, I can hunt hogs there as well, which is kind of fun to do. And they need some does taken down on that property. So, um, I'll do a little, uh, go management as well i'm testing a couple of little tweaks on some broadheads um so it's always good to to have some some hogs and some does to get some more shots in and see how things are working yeah hogs are i feel like are probably the best suited for broadhead testing of any any animal you know? They are. I mean, the hide is really thick and right. tough on those. They got that cartilage, like or yep. whatever that is, collagen. I don't know what it is, but you know, shields and whatever. And then, then on top of it, they always rolling around in the mud. So they got that layer of mud on them that yeah. kind of protects my, them. <clears throat> those blades. When we came out with the wide series head, I did a lot of testing on hogs with those, and probably the most impressive one was. It was a big boar that I shot and it went through, um, that, that cartilage shield and then the, then the scapula and then the spine. So it was kind of a high shoulder hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the opposite side, um, scapula shield and the, the fletching held it from going out the other side, but it went through all that, nice. all that bone and their, their spine is, um, there's all that whole, um, spinal process up there there's a lot it's pretty thick there's a lot of bone there it's pretty wide mm. so um yeah i agree and, and then the hide on that thing i took some video when i shot that i want to say that hide is it's about a half inch thick it's, it's really thick yeah um, and there's fat inside of it so and yeah and there's mud on them too besides that so that's i agree they're way harder to get through than a, than a deer for instance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep huh. i've had guys argue with me all the time of that pigs are are the toughest and swallow up broadheads better than anybody and you know for the most part i would agree to an extent i don't know elk tend to be harder to kill in my my opinion but um i just i think it's just sheer size and amount of blood they have just can get away easier i guess yeah i think hogs are typically are often harder to find because they're in yeah the terrain is, that they crawl into yeah yeah i mean they'll they'll get in the thickest nastiest stuff and and they're pretty tough you can d- double lung i swear i could shoot the lungs and heart out of a hog and he's still gonna run wide open you know for 50 yards or more and get into the thickest cover and they're and they got a lot of hair and they got a lot of fat yeah so plugs um, that holes up plugs it up so the their blood trails can kind of suck and that's why i kind of like shooting with a wide head although i shot a bunch with our single bevel with bleeders too and that that did a nice job on the blood trails too 
but um yeah they're a good good test animal i don't know elk are man elk are tough though too i mean i've seen i saw a double lung shot elk and this this wasn't one that i shot it wasn't my broadhead either but that thing went a half a mile on a mm-hmm. double lung shot yeah i would have thought that was possible but I, I don't know i think sometimes when you hit higher back in the lungs that um I've talked to a few doctors about this and veterinarians actually to try and mm-hmm. try and understand it. But I think you can have a situation where the lungs don't necessarily collapse. You know, there's different lobes in the lungs. Right. If you just hit those back lobes. I feel like they can still get some air in those front lobes for a while until, until maybe there's enough air uh, in there that the lung kind of collapses and they can't, and they can't because the diaphragm going up, you know, in and out is what open you know, right. sucks air in and out. But, Man, I've seen a few times where like double lung shot, that thing's still getting air for a while. So I think that can happen with uh, a shot this high and back. Um, mm-hmm. And it's one of the reasons why I like to shoot right tight into the shoulder, kind of that vital V. It, they just There's no way they're going to live for more than five seconds, I swear, when you hit them up there. That is definitely the ideal spot. Yeah, every time I've hit a elk high, it's always a very long track. And a shitty blood trail, no matter what brought it. Because, I don't know, you know, I've heard this said many times, so I just adopted it and I kind of fall in line with the philosophy, I guess, is that the hole is up high and it takes that big cavity to fill up with blood before it starts. You know, unless you hit specific capillaries and whatever that was right there, that where the blood can come out. But it just doesn't come out when it's a high hit like it does when it's a low hit, you know? That yeah. And it's got to run down the, yeah, it's got to kind of run down the side of the body too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the hair and stuff can collect it. And yeah, my, and I don't know, my cousin Anthony's bull this year. He shot, it was a single long shot. That thing went three miles. Wow. Yeah. So they're, they're tough. They're tough. Yeah. They can live, live off of one. I shot a bear many years ago in Canada and when we opened him up he had a collapsed lung with a muzzy broadhead encapsulated in a like a tumor looking growth uh yeah so he was living with one lung like yeah that's that, really why that, I, that trauma had happened who knows a year prior or maybe more yeah 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 I, that's why I just think Penetration is key. Getting to that second lung and hopefully getting all the way through and getting a, a second hole hole out yeah. both sides to really collapse those lungs quickly. And mm-hmm. yeah, the guy. I mean, some guys argue, um, you know, mechanical head. That big entrance hole is all you need. Well, not on an elk. I mean, an elk. If you take out one lung on an elk, he's probably not going to die. At least, at least not that day. You know, they're yeah. a tough animal, and, and they can go a long ways and a long time on one elk on one lung and you know maybe forever even i don't know yeah i mean i'm pretty sure that bear would have left kept on living if i didn't shoot him you know yeah so yeah it's uh you know the the more i go down these roads i'm you know i'm always faced with the uh with the thought that there's one there's no perfect you know and you know this from engineering every time you gain something you give up something so it's like it's got to kind of set yourself up with the best of all worlds, the best you can do, and then accuracy and penetration make a great shot, you know. Otherwise, 
you know, there's so many what ifs, there's so many whatevers and variables and whatever that you can't, you can't account for all of them or you, you can, you can think about them, but you can't really fix them all, you know? So, right. Right. Yeah. And there's, and there's trade-offs and what's ideal in one situation isn't, isn't necessarily ideal for the other. So you got to think about, you know, what are all the scenarios that can happen with, with, with shot angle, with distance of shot, you know, and I find a lot of guys is like whatever was their last failure they had, that's yeah. what they focus on. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they focus on. Um, and that's, that's what they choose for gear the next year. But mm-hmm. I think if once you've done it enough times and kind of had every, you know, you've screwed up in every way you could have at some point, you have a better feel for, okay, this is kind of a best, you know, all around for the things I do and what I'm trying to do. Exactly. And, uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I actually wrote an article on that not too long ago. Yeah, that's that's exactly my philosophy. It's really easy to want to blame whatever. That's what we're talking about broadheads right now. To blame the broadhead or whatever. And to fix the situation is to get rid of that broadhead and put something else. You know? But in reality, it's, you know, it's just a piece of the system. You got to look at the whole system, you know, the whole scenario. What can I do to minimize my chances of failure all the way around? Mm-hmm. And that is that practicing, mm-hmm. is that tuning of the bow, is it the arrow setup, is it the broadhead, is it, you know, and just look at it all or just say, screw it and go hunt, you know, whatever. <laughs> just, but not, and not get in your own head. Yeah. So you are entirely correct, man. I was sitting here we're listening to your story, but I was also kind of perusing. I don't know why your episode never aired. That is crazy to me. I'm gonna have to freaking find it. I just went <laughs> I just went back through all our text messages too to find out what date it was. It was like March fourth or something like that. I remember that being a good conversation. I don't know why that unless I had a problem with the audio. Yeah, I think we. Uh, I think it was some elk hunting stories. Like, yeah, the, we were actually like telling like yeah, stories of. Uh, it was during. I did it during the uh, lessons learned series. Yeah, what the heck? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep, I do remember. I told some elk stories and some kind of lessons learned from that. So, yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, I'm gonna have to find that now and put that up. So it might be two, two wild bills. Uh, episodes coming at you here pretty soon let me i gotta find it i man i'm i'm baffled as to why that and now i'm smart making me think how many times else has that happened to me <laughs> you know because sometimes <laughs> I'll, I'll go and i'll record like five or six in a row you know and i'll ship them off to my to my guy who does the editing and you know and then i just put them up so maybe somehow <laughs> it got lost <laughs> lost in transition but i don't know That's yeah crazy. i think you'd I think you told me you had quite a few to get put out, so it'd be a while or something like that. But um, I, I just went back and looked some some months later and never found it. So yeah, I'd usually I, I mean, you know. if I put it up there, I'd tag you. I wish you would let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I hope you have some six more success there in in uh, Texas. That sounds like a fun hunt, and um, you know. Hopefully you're get caught up with work here. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on and I will talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Thanks, bye. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. 
Be sure to check out daysinthewild.com and be sure to give us a review on iTunes. Thank you, and we'll check you out on the next episode.